official K1 podcast, K1 Battlecast. Oh, the Slugfest! You'll get news, fight reviews, and fighter interviews. Oh, the Battlecast! And now, your hosts, Michael Shamero and Jonathan Shea. It's good night, Irene! Welcome to another week of K1 Battlecast, the official podcast of the all-new, all-reborn K1. I'm Michael Chavello down in very warm Melbourne, Australia. It's 38 degrees today and it's windy and it's hellacious. And I know it's a little cooler up north in Tokyo, Japan with my co-host, Jonathan Sher. Hello to you, Jonathan. Hey, Michael. How's it going? I'm hot. I'm not bothered. But I'm hot. You know, often people yeah. are hot and bothered. I'm not bothered yet. I think I'm going to get bothered later in the day when the heat peaks at around 3 p.m. And I've got to pick the kids up from school. So not bothered, just hot at the moment. Just but hot. Well, turn I'm that excited air conditioning as well. up in the We're car. going to talk about yeah. my excitement, but it's cooler up there in Tokyo, I assume, right? It's been all over the place, mate. It's like uh, it's been balmy on a couple days and then frigid on others. So um did you did you just throw like, in a did you just throw in a mate on me? Did you throw a mate I at did. me just then? I did. Are you very well of you to pick it up? You know, I like to I, I like to match the uh the feeling of of a conversation with I have the, never heard mate as part of your vernacular. I like it. You, know, you, you need to you, you need to mate me more. <laughs> All right. Le- mate. Less bros uh, and more mate. Homie. No, that's more American, I think. That's yeah. that, I, I might homie you one day, but I think you should keep mating me for a while. Actually, I'll that do sounds it. really I'll do that. that sounds bad, doesn't it? Saying we should mate, but <laughs> you should call me mate. Let's specify call me mate more often. Us Aussies, we 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 warm to that. All right. I, I'll do that. I'll throw that in there more. All right, mate. So I'll tell you what, mate, buddy, pal of mine. I am so excited because K1 Max is just around the corner on March 20. Once again, it's a public holiday in Japan, something to do with trees or something or another. But as far as we're concerned, it may as well be K1 Max National Day because it's the return of the most iconic pound-for-pound tournament in history of striking sports. But also, it's K1 versus Rise and a series of super fights. Jonathan, if I'm not wrong... I believe at last count, there may be up to 25 fights on this card, which is why we are dedicating this entire show today to talking about K1 Max's return on March 20. We've also got a killer interview. I'm talking a killer interview with the Chief Peter Graham, who takes us behind the scenes of his epic showdown with Bada Hurry in Auckland, New Zealand, that famous press conference fight, the famous Rolling Thunder kick knockout, uh, juicy stuff that I'd never heard before. We are going to push that interview to next week's episode because this week it's all about March 20, Jonathan. And am I right? There's like 25 fights on the card. I can't believe how much content they're putting into these these fights. The yes, it's about twenty five fights. Um, you look at the cards; um, they have quite a few of them decided. But for the um, the sixteen, the top sixteen fighters, they haven't decided who's going to match up with who yet. Uh, I probably they're waiting until they get the last couple of fighters in there. You know what's but, exciting? Uh, Over the last couple of days, we were all waiting for the emergence of the tie fighter. You know, it's always like. You, you, you want to find the next boar cow, right? Yeah. And and just this week, they announced that the Grim Reaper of Muay Thai, Tanen Chai, is going to be the guy. He's going to oh be the Thai representative. That is killer. RWS, you know, Raj the Moon World Series champion, uh, 
the guy's got an incredible record and he could be the next Buah Cow. You know, he could be the tie that comes in and cleans everyone up. And I, I reckon at this stage, Jonathan, uh, for most people, uh, both fans and experts, Tannenchild would shoot to the top of the favourites to win this whole thing. You know, that, that's an incredible signing. I'm super excited for it. Well, there's um, there's a lot of really interesting fighters in the mix this time. Um, like, uh, I just saw a video of Ray Nakajima. Um, oh, he's yeah. a boxer. And he's he's a killer. He he really when he goes into fight with his opponents, like he's not he's not shy at all. Like he's he's got eyes open and looking for the spot to drop his opponent. Um, I really think that a, a lot of people have Nakajima in their top three to win this. You know what, folks? Let's run you through the uh, fourteen participants that at this moment have been named in the K1 World Max. There are two spots left. And how it's going to work on March 20, it won't be an elimination tournament as such all on one night. There will be eight fights in the K1 Max, so comprising 16 fighters. And then that final, uh, those eight winners are going to, to move on, obviously. So let's run you through the 14 that have already been decided that are in the K1 World Max 2024 tournament. This has just been updated. So here we go. Uh, from Japan, Hiromi Wajima. From China, Ouyang Feng. From the Netherlands, Daryl Verdonk. Uh, we've also got uh, Pascal Schroth from Germany. Very strong fighter. Uh, Dengue Silva from Brazil. One of their favorites, although some people believe he's getting on a little bit, but he's David Curia from Georgia. Uh, Taras Natchuk from uh, Ukraine. Uh, Stoyan Kopelvinsky is in there. Uh, Zora Akopian is in there. Uh, Vasily Semenov from Russia is in there. Uma Samata is a tough customer. Uh, look out for Jordan Picure from the Netherlands. Tanenshai, as we said, for me, he comes in now as the favorite. Uh, and as Jonathan has said, the boxer, Ray Nakajima. The, the question with Tanenshai, Jonathan, is from going, there's a transition to be made from full Muay Thai rules, which allows the, the grappling, you know, the extended clinch, the grappling, the elbows, the extended knees, uh, over five rounds, usually Muay Thai, five by three, to going three by three K1 rules where you can't elbow, you can't stay locked in the in the Thai clinch. The rule set may not favor Tanan Chai, and it's how well he can transition to this rule set that I think will really be the big question here. Yeah, I think that's um, that's a question that the executives were posing when they were talking about bringing in uh, more Thai fighters. Um, how well they could transition was was really the top question. Some of them have struggled in the past, and some of them have done fantastically. Buakau, of course, the greatest example, two-time K1 Max champion who transitioned from straight Muay Thai to K1 and became a champ. Don't forget, though, back in the day, they actually changed the K1 rules because of Burkow's dominance. Uh, you know, the K1 rules we know today were largely changed because of Burkow's dominance. Uh, I, I guess back in the day, they didn't want Burkow dominating year after year after year. Uh, that said, there are other ties who were around at the time, no more greater tie than Yodson Clive Fairtex. Um, and I'm just reminiscing here. I, I don't believe that Yod ever got a real fully fledged decent run in K1 Max because Bulacow was there. When Bulacow was peaking and winning the K1 Max, 
it was at the same time that Yod Sinclair was at the peak in his illustrious career. And Yod went on a, a winning streak undefeated for something like four or five years. And he was whipping ass on some of the biggest names in the world. He had a couple of K1 Max fights. He won them both. Uh, but he never got a run in K1 Max in Japan as such because Bulgakau was the, the sole real Thai presence at the time. And I don't think we're going to see another Thai thrown into the mix, Jonathan, in the final two names for March 20. I think Tanan Chai will be the sole Thai representative. He's representing. You know, they also mentioned one thing uh, that they had to change about Buakal's fighting style. Um, they encouraged him to be more aggressive because, as you know, Thai fighters tend to start off slower and then and then heat up towards the end of the match. Um, and really, K1 focuses on aggression and dominance and and like knockouts because they want they want to show. And they had to change his fighting style a bit to be more aggressive, they said. so. 100%. Um, you see, Bulkow was used to fighting in the stadiums in Thailand. And as you said, Jonathan, they start slow over the first two rounds, particularly the first round is agonizingly slow because they're betting ringside on the fights. Muay Thai wouldn't be alive in Thailand. And I, I hate to say this as a Muay Thai purist and as a huge Muay Thai fan, but it wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for the betting that mm. happens in the stadiums. It just, it wouldn't exist. You know, it would not exist. They bet on the fights. Okay. So the first two rounds, the 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 the, the bookmakers and, and those bettors are, are looking at the fighters, seeing who looks good, who's in form. It's like when they parade the horses around the ring before a horse race and you say, yeah. okay, that horse looks good. He looks in good shape. He does, you know, maybe he looks a little, uh, not, not in good shape. He's not stepping well. Well, it's the same in the first two rounds of a, a Muay Thai fight in the stadiums. It's a feeling out for the betters ringside in the third and fourth rounds. That is where the real fight happens. They are the two action rounds in Muay Thai fifth round. Both fighters take their foot off the gas. And usually for the final minutes of the final round, they'll dance around the ring and won't even touch each other. And it frustrates a lot of Westerners who go to watch these fights at Raj the Moon, at Lumpini Stadium, etc., because you're like, hey, keep fighting. But the reason is, in Thailand, these guys will fight, you know, 10, 12 times a year. They're fighting every two to four weeks. It's the way they make their living because most of them, if not all of them, have come from poverty and they respect each other to know that, I'm not going to try in the fifth round to go and knock you out and hurt you and damage you because I know you're trying to feed your family, especially if one guy knows that he's won it, definitely on the judges' scorecards, he's not going to try and go for a knockout. It's not like Western fighting where they'll go to knock their opponent out to get that applause and get those TV ratings. But that is what K1's about. K1 was developed by Kancho Ishii to be a television and a live spectacle for fans. And that's why I think K1's rule set, as it has been, and Bulwakao helped to change this rule set and make it better, is the best rule set for kickboxing on the planet. I, I really believe that. Well, uh, it'll be great to see how the TIE fighter transitions and hopefully he can come out aggressive from the start. Hey, you know what, Jonathan? We're going to mention as part of this big you know, news episode how about K1 bringing back Kancho himself? Master Ishii is now an executive advisor on the newly reborn K1. That is huge. I think it's great. You know, it it really kind of, when I spoke with him especially, it, it dawned on me just how passionate he is about K1, but also um, his 
understanding of K1 and what it needs to to become, you know, as glorious as it once was, you know, really, it made sense to me when I was talking to him, just his vision for a K1. You know, Jonathan, not blowing wind up our own backsides, so to speak, but I've, I've got to ask, you know, when we did the first episode of K1 Battlecast and we were speaking with the K1 execs over in Japan and the producers, and um, they said, who do you want to have on your, your first ever show? And I immediately, yeah. if you remember, I said, uh, we, we need, we must have an interview with Kancho Ishii. He's the man who invented K1 back in 1993. If it wasn't for him, K1 would never have existed. Uh, can we get Kancho Ishii? They got Kancho Ishii for us in that exclusive, wonderful interview we did with him. Um, Jonathan, do you think in a roundabout way, we were kind of responsible for bringing Kancho into the fray a little more into you know, now that he's been signed on as an executive uh, advisor? You know, who knows what great change has been brought about by those butterfly wings, you know, the suggestion that, right. that you made, Michael. Yeah, you it, know, I, it, I, uh, I like it, to think we maybe had a little hand in it. And I'm so thrilled to have him, you know, back on board. I, I mean, who better to advise than than the man that started it all, right? So I'm, I'm looking forward to catching up with Kancho uh, when I come to Tokyo on March 20. Folks, again, join us there. March 20, Jonathan and I will be there. Hey, if you want to come and eat fugu with us, the poisoned puffer fish, come do it. It's a public yeah, holiday in Japan. Let us know. Let I'll, us meet beforehand. I'll, I'll have to make a reservation. So I, I need yeah. to know a head count. So send us emails and send let, us, let emails, us know who's coming. Send us a tweet. Hit us up on Facebook. If you're going to come, you want to join us for some fugu, maybe we'll film it and do a special uh, episode we can put on YouTube. And uh, that'd be fantastic. Jonathan, not only K1 Max fights on this incredible card, as I said, it's going to be around 25 fights. Let's go right to the, the big uh, main event here for the uh, Cruiserweight Championship as Sina Karimian takes on Lutsar. Lutsar was this unknown tower of power, a human skyscraper, aptly dubbed by Eddie Bravo as the Ivan Drago of kickboxing. Uh, he's 195 centimeters from China. He's uh, only got the one loss, 10 wins, 11 fights. He ran through that rebirth tournament last year in September. I mean, absolutely chopped everyone to bits. Uh, it was one of the fastest winning times ever in a K1 uh, Grand Prix tournament. He goes up against the bad boy, the new bad boy, the man who's, I guess, trying to fly that flag once flown by Bada Hari, uh, Sina Karimian, who idolizes Bada Hari, who says Bada Hari is his hero. And Jonathan, this one promises fireworks. Sina Karimian is taller than Lutzar. Karimian stands at 200 centimeters, so he's got five centimeters in height. He's trained by the great Nicholas Pettis, who's the former K1 Japan Grand Prix champion. This is going to be a nasty fight. I don't see it going the distance. Yeah, I think Cena's uh, going to headhunt for Lou. Lou's had a bit of trouble working on his guard. I mean, if you see some of his early fights, he's he's always getting headhunted. So when he, he doesn't do well, it's because he's not uh, guarding his head. But he seems to have um, done way better in, in the last World Grand Prix when he became champion. Um, I mean, he was his guard was impeccable. That said, I also believe the chink in the armor of Sina Karimian is also the jaw. And okay. I, I wonder if Lutzar is going to try and thread his legs up to the jaw, up to the neck of Sina Karimian, because Lutzar, as we know, Jonathan, loves the leg kicks. He will chop yeah. out everyone's legs like he did back in September. The leg kicks on this guy are absolutely ferocious. It's 
it's almost those Ernesto Hoos style leg kicks that he seems to find a spot at the bottom of the quad around that um, that common perineal nerve just above the knee. And if you strike that nerve enough, and Ernesto was the master of it, so too was Andy Sauer. It deadens the entire leg. And that's where Lutzar likes to go. And I do wonder if he will go there against Cena Karimian, um, which will give Karimian, you know, hell. It, it, it'll be painful. And I know that Cena and Nick Pettis will be training specifically for that. Or if Lutzar is looking to improve his hands, and his hands are decent. They're not outstanding, but they're decent enough if he's improving his boxing to hunt after that jaw of Cena Karimian. It, it's going to be interesting to see what game plan uh, Lutzar comes in with. As far as Cena is concerned, you know, his last fight, I thought he um, he was playing a little bit too much with the rules or like uh, he, there was a few low blows that he he put in. And I and I have to wonder if those weren't um, on purpose. And no, so they were. I'm hoping I, I, he can. They were. They, they, yeah. they were. They were. You know, Cena is one of these guys and you hit the nail on the head there, Jonathan. He will push the boundaries push the envelope as much as he possibly can without getting red carded by the referee. And I think he's going to do the same on March 20 against Lutzar because Lutzar is, he's so imposing just to look at the guy is scary. His ring entrance is scary. He comes out like Drago. He comes out with a big long robe. You know, he comes out standing at, at full height and he's just a scary customer to look at. Cena's going to show him no respect. He's going to try and get inside Lutzar's head, which no one has ever done before, and see if he can't rough him, if he can't manhandle him. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a kick or a knee to the groin just to maybe slow Lutzar down a little. Uh, If there's mind games, if there's a a war of words, Lutzar won't be able to understand any of it. He only speaks Chinese. uh, I believe only Mandarin. But, uh, you know, Cena's going to play these games. And Jonathan... In this sport where you're competing at the highest level, it may not always be the most sportsmanlike thing to do. It may not be the prettiest thing to do, but if it can be effective to get inside your opponent's mind and beat them at the mental game, then why not? Sure. I do get the sense that Lutza actually really um, values sportsmanship and respect. Cause if you see him, like when he, when he deals with his opponents, he he's always super respectful. Like he bows in the traditional Chinese way, like fist in hand. And, and he seems to value that a lot. So hopefully, you know, it will set off sparks when Cena doesn't respect him. And there'll be a little bit of beef there and we can see some, some extra sparks in this fight. So the big, the big question here for me is, and again, you hit the nail on the head that that is the way of, of Lutzar, very respectful, a traditional martial artist. What happens when he is thrown off track, when his preconceived notion of the fight and how a fight should go gets thrown out the the window by the unorthodox stuff of Cena Kareemian? If Kareemian decides to dump him, to manhandle him in the clinch, to knee him in the groin, kick him in the groin, hit a late punch when the referee's trying to break them, you know, push those boundaries, how does Lusard deal with it? In front of a, it's what's going to be a massive sold out audience at Yoga. Yeah. What's going to be hopefully a worldwide television broadcast. How does he deal with it? Will he crack? You know, will he, will he, as we say, crack the shits? You know, is he going to crack <laughs> under pressure? Yeah. You know, yeah. or will he be able to maintain that calm, you know, facade that he has and stick to his game plan 
against the guy who's going to try and throw him off. It's interesting. You know, it, it goes back to, uh, it goes back to, let's say, Bada Hurry versus Remy Bonjaski, 2008 Grand Prix final. Very similar. Bada Hurry tried to get in Remy's mind. Bada Hurry tried to rough uh, Remy Bonjaski, but Remy stayed the gentleman. He stayed his calm, respectful self. He stayed with clean technique. And that technique of smothering Bada Hurry so Bada couldn't use his length and his power eventually broke down Bada Hurry. And we saw Bada, uh, Bada had a, you know, what we call a brain fart in the final. And Nobuaki yeah. Kakuda eventually red carded him, disqualified him after he stomped on Remy's head. So yeah. are we going to see the same? Will the calmness of Lutsar overcome the craziness of Cena Karimian? I- I'm so excited for this cruiserweight title fight. That's just uh, that's that's one of the most enjoyable things about K1 to me is that that kind of the mental stage that this is also being played on at the same time. So like going into that is is really fascinating for me personally, Michael. Thank you. Um, and we'll see what happens with these two fighters. Man, the sparks are going to fly. Sparks are going to fly. Uh, a young lady we are very keen to see for the women's flyweight championship set for three three minute rounds is Antonia Prifty of Greece. She takes on Sahor of uh, Japan from Kasai City in the Hyogo Prefecture. Uh, Antonia Prifty and her team have been very vocal on social media. She's receiving a lot of attention, a lot of publicity in the lead-up to this fight. And well, she should, because she's only had two losses in 25 fights, and so too is Saho, two losses in 18 fights. These are two women at 52 kilos. Um Prifty will have a about a seven-centimeter height advantage over Saho. They're both orthodox fighters. This on paper, Jonathan, could be one of the fights of the night, really. And this is one that I am predicting may go the distance and may go into an extra round. Wow. Well, Prifty did such a great job in her last fight. Um, you know, she really showed hard. And um, so we'll we'll see how it turns out. There is also the huge rivalry, Jonathan, between K1 and Rise, and there are five K1 versus Rise contests on the card on March 20. Just let folks know a little bit more about Rise, Jonathan, what it is, and um, they've got some pretty bloody good fighters there at Rise that are going to be a handful for these K1 stars. Sure. Um, and it's good to see K1 having this kind of inter-organizational rivalry uh, again. I mean, we've seen we've seen things like this in the past, but um, where you know the 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 head fighter from each weight division is uh, is going to have a showdown. Now, I I'm not too familiar with Rise itself, um, but you seem to be well versed in their in their history. Could you uh, fill me in on people like me that that aren't aware of them? Yes, yeah, so you know, Rise is a, a wonderful, wonderful organization, also based out of Japan, of course. Um, they hold a number of events. Their first one was way back in 2003 uh, in Amori, Japan, and they've seen some wonderful fighters over the years. Uh, Chad Collins, uh, Australia's Chad Collins, is the super lightweight world champion of Rise. Chad actually fights in Tokyo. On another Rise K1 event, I think it's four days before the K1 Max event, 
Um, I just commentated Chad last week in Dubai as part of Alpha Fight Series, and he beat his international opponent. He's on a 15-fight streak, but it's guys like Chad Collins, like Shiro, who's the bantamweight champion, uh, guys like Keita Ono, Ryoto Nakano, um, Taiga, uh, Kaisuke Monguchi, uh, Koki Osaki, Kazuki Osaki. Uh, the list goes on. They've had a very good heavyweight division. Uh, Fabiana Aoki was a champion back in 2008. I remember uh, Makoto Uera uh, was a champion, I believe, back in 2011. Um, they've had fabulous fighters go through a number of weight divisions. Um, Danilo Zanolini, I remember him fighting in the welterweights for Rise back in the day. Uh, Panamurung, Kepmukau, uh, the great tie. Uh, he fought back in 2022, was a super lightweight world champion. Uh, Chad Collins won his title in December last year. So Rise World Series has been wonderful, and they are going to be, as I said, very stiff competition for K1. Let's take you through the five fights that are K1 versus Rise. Uh, first of all, uh, Gunji Taito. We saw him at the K1 reboot uh, show back in September. He takes on Monguchi Kaisuke. So that one's an all-Japan battle. Uh, Taito brings in a record of 24-5-1, and and Keisuke 15-2-1. So on paper, very good matchup. Uh, Taito, I believe, is going to win that one. He's got the experience, and he is an absolute gun. I know you're a big fan, Jonathan, of Gunji Taito. He's uh, he's so active. I mean, he he just goes in and and boxes, right? I mean, he doesn't he doesn't take his time and and weigh out all his options, and he just his aggression from the start. He's a suffocating volume fighter. He's got lovely technique. He lands almost everything. A real hard ask for his opponent on March 20. Also, women's fight. Uh, we are huge fans of Sugawara Miyu. She takes on Miyazaki Koyuki. Koyuki's got a record of 13, 1 and 1. Uh, Sugawara's got a record of 14 and 3. Uh, Sugawara is the older here by four years. She'll be the taller by about nine centimeters. Uh, it's at 45 and a half kilos. Uh, Koyuki may pose problems being a southpaw. Uh, Sugawara is an orthodox fighter, but again, uh, Sugawara from the fabled Silver Wolf Gym in uh, Sanganjaya, I believe she'll take this one. It could be a close fight, though. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this disciple of Masato uh, fares in the ring against uh, Rise's champion. Are we disciples of Masato? Not students, but are we disciples because we adore him? Is adoration grounds for being a disciple? I think it's the first step. So, What's, it, what's the difference between a disciple and an acolyte? Um, an acolyte is somebody who uh, is, a, is a studier of, I believe, but a disciple is somebody who follows in the path of. So would we be acolytes of K1? In a, in a way, because we're not really participating more than verbally, right? Your acolytes. There we go. I so, like so we're it. Acolytes. All right. I like it. I like it. Okay. K1 versus Rise, fight number three, super fight. It's super featherweight. Another man we're very familiar with. He had a good time out in September. Igawa Yuki takes on Hitachi Hyuma. Uh, the experience goes the way of Igawa. 17 wins, six losses, one draw. Uh, Hyuma has 10 wins, four losses, and a draw. Two orthodox fighters, uh, one from Tokyo being Igawa, one from beautiful seaside Fukuoka. I've always got a soft spot for Fukuoka, Jonathan, because my first ever K1 I commentated in Japan was at the yeah. Marine Messe Fukuoka in 2001. Mark Hunt, Ray Sefo, the great all-time fight on that night. So I've always had a soft spot for Fukuoka. Uh, but it doesn't mean I'll go for Hitachi Hyuma because I believe Igawa beats him. 
Well, um, I I do remember Igawa's fight uh, from the last um, what was it the, the September show, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was one of the undercards. He was. Yeah, so um, it seems like he's he's kind of moving up the ranks in in at least uh, fight uh, preference. You know, like he's he's not one of the under undercards. He's he's one of the the main cards, I guess. Also on the K1 versus Rise, it is the uh, fourth of five. It is Kaneda Shoki taking on Toita Daiki. Uh, Shoki has a record of 21 wins and two losses, and uh, Toita Daiki has a win record of 12 wins, five losses, and one draw. Huge experience advantage going the way here of Shoki, but uh, what is not in his favor is the height and reach. He gives up a full seven centimeters, which is quite a reach and height differential at featherweight. These guys are competing at 57 and a half kilos. So slight experience advantage going by of Shulky. This could be the one that uh, Rise wins in this five. Uh, again, the 12-5-1 record of Taita uh, Daiki. Both men aren't huge knockout artists. Um, this one could go in Rise's favor. And the final one, fifth fight, rounding out, uh, rounding out K1 versus Rise at Super Feather is Matsuyama Yuta taking on Haraguchi Andre. Uh, I, these guys are still up and coming. Yuta's got seven wins, one loss. Uh, Andre has three wins and two losses. Um, again, Southpaw in Matsuyama Yuta, the Orthodox in Andre. I think that little bit more experience on Matsuyuma is going to swing it in his favor. The way I see this going down, and maybe I'm a little K1 biased, but I think it's going to be maybe 4-1 in favor of K1 over Rise. But either way, as Jonathan said earlier, anytime you've got inter-promotional matchups, you go back to the old dynamite of you know Dream versus Sengoku. You go back to the old K1 Max versus Dream uh, fights they had back in the days as well. It's It's so thrilling for the fans, and I think we are going to be uh, full of thrills come March 20. Jonathan, there's, there's a lot of super fights also on this card to look out for. One I'm, I'm really looking forward to, and I know fans worldwide are, is uh, the Italian Luca Cicchetti takes on Masashi Kimura. We know how yeah. good Kimura is. 22 and 6 record, 11 knockouts, 50% KO ratio. Uh, but the huge experience of Cicchetti, he is known worldwide, 44 and 5 records, 10 knockouts, uh, he's nine years older than Kimura. Uh, both stand at 168 centimeters. Uh, both are going to weigh in at 56 kilos on the money. Kimura is the orthodox. Chiquetta is the southpaw. Japan versus Italy doesn't happen often in the realm of sports. I am really looking forward to this one. I have to kind of wonder if they're if they're putting this Italian fighter in because they want to tie it in with the uh, the the event planned for Sicily just to connect the the two dots there. Um, but also I'm really interested to see how Kamuda is going to bounce back after his loss against Kaneko last time. And uh, what kind of new uh, energy is he going to come into the ring with this time? So folks, those are the main fights on the March 20 card. And again, it, it's all getting confirmed uh, in what has been a huge week of news. As Jonathan just stated, K1 going worldwide and, uh, Jonathan, we, we can't discuss it in depth, but I know you've been privy over the last 48 hours to sit in an executive K1 meeting where they are actually mapping out the next three years. And you were telling me off the air before that it is looking crazy that their global expansion 
will reach even further over the next three years. Yeah, I mean, I can't give the exact numbers that they're they're planning on, but there's a lot of expansion that's going to be happening in different areas. Um, they've, of course, they have the Crush events, they have uh, World Max, they have World Grand Prix, but they're also going to be starting, um, I believe, some amateur uh, level fights to kind of grow the fighter base or to make contact with uh, up and comers. And uh, seems like there's going to be a lot more opportunities for fighters to get involved with K1 in the years coming forward. I've already got so many fighters knocking on my door because as soon as you mention K1, and even with you know Glory and 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 all the other you know Rise and Glory and uh, Raj the Moon World Series and the other great striking organizations out there, the K1 name still carries the most lofty. It's it's the it's it's the name everyone still aspires towards, Jonathan. It's the name still known worldwide. Even when I travel these days, and traveling over the last several years, uh, especially in Dubai, just last week, I had so many people coming up to me asking for photographs, asking just for a chat, and they all are talking about K one days. They all go back to Zambides versus Chahid. They all go back to you know. Bada Hari, Peter Ertz, Ray Sefo, Ernesto, who's semi Schult. They all want to hear stories of the glorious K1 days. And when I'm telling people K1's coming back, you know, and K1 Max is coming back and doing so worldwide, no matter how old they are, their faces light up like giddy kids opening Christmas presents on Christmas morning because K1 still carries that incredible brand recognition. And also, Jonathan, it's that nostalgia, isn't it? Because sure. so many people come up to me and say, hey, I grew up listening to you. You were the the voice of my childhood, which makes me feel exceptionally old, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, honored that A1 has resonated in their memories, in their minds for, for, for so long. And we are bringing this, this major brand back. It's exciting. Absolutely. You know, I think it's also because of what K1 represents. I mean, if you, if you think about organizations like uh rise or glory or you know kok or all these fighting organizations they're they're kind of um little kingdoms un unto themselves but when you think about who's the strongest one out of all those organizations the only place to really prove that has been k1 which takes fighters from all different places and puts them in a ring and says okay you figure it out and um and it's what it represents. It's like it actually is, in many ways, the, the world's arena to determine the strongest fighter. That was always the case. And as we said in our, our I think it was our second episode when we reviewed the, the Bronco Sikitik win in 1993, and yeah. that Japanese uh, female reporter who got in the ring immediately and got the microphone and said, I am now speaking to the strongest man on the planet, Bronco Sikitik. And I don't know if she was the one that, that coined that phrase, but it's it stuck because always since its inception in 1993, the K1 Grand Prix has determined the strongest man on the planet. And since the inception of K1 World Max in the early 2000s, it has always been the birth of pound for pound, the best striker on the planet. And no one can really debate those two things. And, you know, it, it's so exciting. As I, I glance at the... Uh, the K1X or Twitter profile, and do give them a follow. It's the new K1 official English account. Its uh, handle is K1, no hyphen, 
underscore reboot, K1 underscore reboot. They are putting up some great material on there. Uh, they've got a, a video of Ten and Chai. So if you've never seen Ten and Chai, the Grim Reaper before, do check him out. They've got some great clips of him being the RWS uh, champion. Uh, Ten and Chai, as we said, maybe the favorite to become the K1 Max champion 2024. And also make sure you give us a follow on X as well, K1 Battlecast. We also retweet and we update you with uh, lots of K1 news on there. And um, Jonathan, I am excited about March 20. I'm excited to see you. I'm excited to be at the Yoyogi Stadium. You know, of all the venues I've commentated at, Ariaki, Tokyo Dome, Saitama Super Arena, uh, Marine Messe in Fukuoka, uh, you know, in Osaka at the, uh, the the Joe Hall in Osaka and all over the place. I've never yet commentated the Yoyogi where it all began. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, it'll be a first for both of us. I mean, I believe I've been at, it, uh, at an event in Yoyogi. They had one around 2010. It was a, it was a minor event. I'm not sure under which organization it was it was a long time ago but um yeah it's a it's an interesting venue and uh very uh what do you call it intimate venue <laughs> um you're you're right there i mean the the ring is front and center um so it'll be a lot of fun and uh you know being k1 world max uh the production values are going to be off the charts i do encourage you grab a flight to tokyo March 20th of the show, come a few days before, hit us up if you want to do some fugu in Tokyo, uh, enjoy the food, enjoy the sights, enjoy the scenery, go to Tokyo Disneyland, enjoy the culture. Uh, you're going to see some marvelous ring introductions as well. Uh, another one, if you go to that uh, K1 Worldwide, the K1 Reboot X, they put a great video of uh, Ouyang Feng of China and his walkout and... Um, I won't spoil it for you. Just go on there, X, and have a look at what this guy does. And on March 20, those walkouts that you came to love from the likes of Masato and Buakau and Kishinko and Zambides and Gago Drago back in the day, uh, you know, you, you're going to see them again on March 20. Speaking of which, Jonathan, just want to preview coming up over the next few weeks of K1 Battlecast. We have some big guests lined up. Uh, next episode, Peter Graham is going to walk us through that arch rivalry of him and Bada Hurry. There is behind the scenes stuff in there. Jonathan, you've heard the interview. It is, uh, let's just say, a wild ride that Peter Graham is going to take us on. I love the fact that you can get a, a view behind what's going on in his mind. Um, he's a very deep person. I had a chance to have lunch with him once and he was reading, I think it was uh, Siddhartha or something like that. He was He's, he's quite the philosopher and to listen to how his strategy played out in that uh, press meeting and everything that he was thinking about was just very insightful into the the fighter, uh, Peter Graham. So a uh, lot to look forward to. He's a very fascinating person. And very quickly before we go, the stars keep getting bigger and bigger here on K1 Battlecast. We also have Wayne Parr, 10-time Muay Thai world champion, former K1 Max fighter, he will be appearing on the show as well. Great stuff from Wayne Parr. Always a terrific storyteller. We're going to be speaking with Gago Drago, the crazy man himself. Gago Drago, arguably the best ring entrance of any fighter in K1 Max history. And I'll tell you what, a bloke who does not pull any punches in his comments about his K1 Max rivals back in the day. You don't want to miss our interview with Gago Drago. And speaking of greatness, we've got an interview with two-time K1 Max world champion and arguably the greatest of all time K1 Max fighter, Andy Sauer. Uh, and Andy is going to reveal to us who he thinks 
is the greatest K1 Max fighter of all time. He's going to review some of his awesome fights and his two wins. And uh, Jonathan, they just keep coming. These special guests, they are knocking on the door to be a part of K1 Battlecast. I cannot wait to listen to all those interviews and more, Michael. You keep lining them up. I'll line them up. We will knock them out of the park, my friend. Jonathan, as always, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And fans, listeners, wherever you are around the world, please don't forget to subscribe. Also, join our page on Facebook. Drop us a line. Also, join us on X or Twitter, if you like to call it that. Drop us a line on there and uh, let us know if you're coming to Tokyo. Also, we're going to have a whole episode Uh, We're going to do it maybe in a couple of episodes time where it's all going to be your questions. I will answer your questions about K1. It can be current K1. It can be former K1. Whatever you want to ask, let me know. I'll answer your questions. We'll do that mailbag for an entire episode. Jonathan, we'll talk again soon, my man. Thank you, mate. I love mate being a part of your vernacular now. I'm going to have to get some practice. All right. Uh, It's always good to talk to you too, mate. All right, there you go. From myself, Michael Chavello and Jonathan Scher, you've been listening to K1 Battlecast.